right, guys, welcome back to the Nosebleed Seats podcast. This is episode number 25. Today I'm joined by Liam, as always. Today we are going to be talking much, much sports as we finally kick off the live action, the NBA, the NHL bubbles, the return of the MLB, and training camp just getting started in the NFL. Uh, Definitely something I've been looking forward to for so long. You can say the same, Liam, I'm sure. Kind of just talking off our heads for the past couple of months, hypotheticals, all-time drafts, all that stuff. We can finally sit back, enjoy sports, and talk about it. So we'll get things kicked off right away. First and foremost, our beloved baseball team, the Boston Red Sox, having the season of their careers right now. Um, I'm sure you're having a lot of fun watching them get their asses kicked by subpar teams and now the New York Yankees. Um, Before I give it over to you, Liam, my initial take on the Sox is that the offense has just not been any, any near what they're supposed to. I mean, coming into this season, you knew your pitching staff wasn't going to be all that great from rotation to bullpen top to bottom. This was just not, not a winning pitching staff at all. So the offense needed to be the ones to step up, and, man, they just haven't. I think they have been right on par with the pitching. Uh, you go down you go down the schedule from opening day. Yeah, they had a great op- opener versus the Orioles, 13 runs. And then since, it's been two runs, four runs, four runs, three runs, two wins against the Mets in which they scored six and four, and then – the Yankee series, they've sc- scored a combined total of three. So, I mean, I'll give it over to you, which is definitely not what this offense was chalked up to be. Yeah, no, um, just first off, excited for sports to actually be back, finally. Um, really, it's a huge bonus that now after this long hiatus that we finally get actual sports to watch. Um, I've been watching the Prem mainly since because they've been back my beloved Spurs qualified for Europa so that's always good but the Red Sox man this it just sucks it sucks it's not fun to watch I'm not having fun I'm not having a good time they they suck it's we both to start off the year we did our preview of what what how good we think the Red Sox are going to be we thought Probably right around about right around 500. I think we both gave them a little notch above 500. Like we're not going to get like 40 wins, but we'll be right around 30, 29, like 31 that range. Yeah. This team's been playing like garbage. Yeah. We we lose we lose a series to the Orioles. We draw. We tie with the Mets, two garbage teams, and now we're getting our asses handed to us by the Yankees, our most hated rival. Who frankly is looking like one of the best teams in the league and it just it's it's really embarrassing that our offense who I think we both said and you just previously said is the key for this team with obviously what our rotation was looking like we knew we weren't gonna have sale David Price left in the Mookie trade and now we're like okay yeah we got Erod Nivaldi like those are two pitchers that can go out and win two games Erod shut down for the season Hope he gets a good recovery, like scary real-life stuff there with uh, complications from corona. 
and now mm-hmm. he's got some other stuff going on. So I wish him nothing but a speedy recovery. But I mean, the pitching we knew was going to be our weak weak spot, and the pitching hasn't even been terrible this year. Yeah. It's been hasn't been good, hasn't been terrible. It's just been considering the amount of runs they're letting up. This is this bull, bullpen and pitching rotation is mildly overachieving that yeah. they're doing this well with the guys that we have and the guys that are playing and pitching for us. It's the bullpen's keeping us in games, which I thought would be a sentence I wouldn't say. And what's really hurting us is our offense. And if you ask anyone, I thought it was going to be like last year's team where our offense was unbelievable. And we were just going to put up runs like you read about, but then let up a ton of runs. And that's how we were going to lose games. No, it's the other way around where Ben attendees playing like shit. JD's, yeah, he's still got to find a groove. And, I mean, Kevin Pillar right now is looking like the best player on the Red yeah. Sox, which yep. I didn't even think he'd be playing at this part of the year. I thought we would go fully Verdugo, but it's it's just this is an atrocious team to watch. It's reminded me a lot of the Bobby Valentine year, which I never thought I would compare a Red Sox team to that team ever again. If anyone forgets the 2012 Red Sox were – probably the biggest joke of a team in our lifetime. And I know the restart and it's a shortened season, but this team's right up there so far of being a joke. And I'm not willing to say the season's canceled yet, but I mean, I got to see someone, someone turn it around to get this thing going. Cause it's creeping more into more looking like where this is just a wash of the year. And we might as well not even have JD and all of our stars play this year and just, say okay hey we'll give it a go in 2021 but you took it you you took the words right out of my mouth um the the worst part the the part that leaves the most sour taste in my mouth is that you look at the stats right now and it's all all the the hitting stats are led by guys in the middle to bottom of the order like I'll run down it right now Christian Vasquez is hitting 333 with four home runs Kevin Pillar is hitting 423. Mitch Moreland's hitting 280. Jackie Bradley's hitting 320. All these guys are ahead of your best hitters. There's Xander Bogart's hitting 240. That's underwhelming. JD hitting 220. Underwhelming. Michael Chavis hitting 180. Underwhelming. Rafael Devers also hitting 180. Alex Verdugo, 230. I mean, that's right. I think he kind of where that, that's where he kind of stands. Game, I, still young. I think the Verdugo ones too. Like he also hasn't been in every game, so yeah. I'm gonna chalk that one up to lack of abs for him. So, yep. and he also stills recovery. I got faith in Verdugo. It's just he's probably the only one I'm cutting slack for. Yeah, the hitting lulls because, like you were saying, <laughs> our bottom of our lineups getting our runs, getting our hits, getting on base, and all the guys that we were talking. I think me and you both were like saying how. Devers and uh, Xander are like potential like MVP caliber guys. Obviously, no one's stealing it from Mike Trout anytime soon. But like these are like all stars guys that like if the MLB had all MLB teams, like they would be all MLB guys eventually. Like these are our studs, and they just are wildly underperforming. Yeah, Andrew Benatendi hitting not even a hundred. Yeah, don't. I mean. I thought I thought his when I saw that his flow was back, I was like, okay, we're 
we're good. Benintendi's going to just be Benintendi again. I thought, you know, he's got the long hair back. He's going to be feeling it. Nope. He sucks. So, <laughs> Do you make a move um, with a struggling Benintendi? I still think a team would take a bite on him considering his consistency and what he's been in the past couple of years. If you could work a trade where you'd be getting a good, not like great prospect pitcher from another team, do you trade a guy like Ben Attendi for that? No. No? I So I'm perfectly fine with keeping Benny because I, as much as I'm shitting on him right now, he is still probably – are what second best what you would call prospects with him endeavors considering yeah. they're both I think still in that age range where they're considered prospects and Xander's already solidified himself as the top five shortstop in the MLB. So we got two these two guys that are wicked young and now we got Verdugo. And so I just think trying to keep Benny and trying to keep Verdugo and so we have that outfielding core and then Listen, JBJ's bat always hasn't been his strong suit, but we have like probably the best defensive center fielder in baseball. And I think keeping him, I think his value in the field outweighs his value with the bat by a landslide. And so I think if we can keep this young core and then keep JBJ for our outfield, I think we'll have success for years, years to come. And I think with Benny struggling right now, I think, I mean, he's up for arbitration pretty soon. I think that's probably going to help the Red Sox where I thought we were going to giving him the bag in arbitration. Now it's looking like we might be able to steal him for literally nothing during arbitration. So I say keep Benny. Um, If we're going to make moves to get a young pitching prospect, I'd expect maybe JD to be the guy that we – get rid of because I could definitely of, see that because of his value because of when his contracts up he's a guy that can pull a top tier uh pitcher p- uh, pitching prospect and I think I think if, especially if this is the team that we're building I I don't see any reason why JD would want to stick around I think he knows his career is limited I think he sees the writing on the wall where he's more of a DH now than a right fielder even though he likes to be in right field. So I think he sees the writing on the wall and I think he wants to go to a contender, especially in a year like this, where it's really wide open at who can, who can win and who can, you know, have success. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, something that kind of, kind of hurts to say, but I mean, he, he can opt out after this year. And given that, I mean, there's really no security for the Red Sox in that in that case there. So, I mean, if there is a deal where I do think he still provides so much value, especially like to, like you said, another contending team, they would have no problem given the universal DH this year too, which makes it even more diverse to where JD can land. I would do in a heartbeat as much as I love JD. I think he's one of the best hitters in the game. He's slumping right now, but, we all know what he can do at the plate. He can hit it anywhere out of the park. Uh, but it's just rough, man. Looking looking down this this pitching staff, I mean, no, even sales a question mark for next year. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez taking a year off. You never know what could happen to him. Um, Eovaldi, he had Tommy John. And then after him, it's just a bunch of scrubs. It's a bunch of no-names. So, I mean, if you can make a move – 
JD for a solidified, good pitching prospect, I'm doing it. I'm doing it as well. I agree with you there. That's that's really the only guy this year that I see would be a guy that we might move. I don't think – I think if we're going to go with, like, our untouchables, I think it's – I mean, we just got Verdugo, so I'd throw him up there. But I'd probably just say the only two players on our team that really were, like, if they call and ask for him, we're just going to say no is Xander and uh, Devers. I think those are the only two guys that the Red Sox are going to be like, no, we're not even taking phone calls for people yeah. asking for them. But I could definitely see JD being a move, especially if the Red Sox kind of get a feel because, he, again, he can opt out. So probably giving him feelers for contract extensions. And if he's – not not around the number we want him at. I mean, there was an issue signing him in the first place where I think it took to what, like two weeks into spring training for us to actually get him uh, a yeah. few years ago. Yeah. So I think I think he might might be on the move but from the sock, especially again, if we're playing this bad, like it's just it's it's really not enjoy like I miss baseball so much and like I miss watching baseball, watching live sports. It's all coming back, and this Red Sox team is making me turn off games. That's how bad they're playing. And I haven't seen a live baseball game in months besides the KBO. Yeah, I mean, just so much missed opportunities. They've had bases loaded, no out, one out chances, and they come out of it with one run, I think, the other night. I think Diaz hit a batter, scored one run, and then they – Bounced out of the inning, not scoring again. Same thing happened last night for the Yankees. Didn't score a run. Missed opportunities there. Like, it's just so, so degrading knowing, like, it's right there. Like, that's how you break open games. Like, we knew this. The team knew it. It was coming down to the offense. It was the offense keeping up with the pitching staff. And I certain, I think everyone thought this offense could do it. Just given the firepower, given the power alone that this team has with Chavis, JD, Xander, Moreland, all those guys. And now you're getting production from bat. Like I said, production from Vasquez production from JBJ. You got to capitalize because any moment the bottom of the order could just go back to and ease back into like their normal selves. Like JBJ will go back down to being a 220 hitter. Christian Vasquez will go back down to being a 250 hitter. You just have to capitalize. Take advantage of it now, especially early on in the season. You gotta get momentum here. I mean, it's they're they're cutting it close. I wouldn't say I really don't want to count them out just yet. It's only been a week, but if they don't figure it out soon, I definitely think it's time to maybe consider opening a door for a JD or a potential Andrew Benatendi trade for some prospects because our farm system ain't that great either. We kind of pissed that all away a couple years ago to win the world series yeah and like like you're saying yeah hey it's only been three series so far yeah like we've only played what 10 games right now yeah yeah the thing is like normal season we'd be like okay yeah, no, they'll figure it out it's 162 it's only 60 games this season yeah like every game is a must-win game really because it's going to come down to the wire for those expanded playoff spots. And right now this Red Sox team's not looking like a team that can get it done. And I'm not saying the season's over yet, but with the shortened season, like I'm trying to do the math right now in my head. What is it like 8% of the season's already gone. 
Yeah. Like just about know, more, more than that. But I'm bad with math. 10, 10 games out of 60 games have already been played. We need to figure it out right now because in a normal season, that's like 35 games into a normal season. And if we were playing like this for the first 35 games of a normal season, we'd be we'd be rioting in the streets right now, like about how bad this Red Sox team has been playing. And that's a, the equivalent of what it is this year. Like, yeah, oh, it's only been a couple games. A couple games are like you can't drop series to the Orioles and to the Mets and want no. to make a playoff. There you go. You in just said shortened it. season. It's you can't. You just said it. You cannot drop series in a season like this to the worst team in baseball. You just said it, and they did that. So I mean, that just kind of sums it up of what I think it's going to be for the rest of the year. I hope they prove prove me wrong, but I don't know. Enough socks. We'll get to some better Boston sports teams. Uh, the Boston Celtics opened up their season a few nights ago versus the Milwaukee Bucks in the bubble. A highly anticipated game, and they got off to a really slow start. Um, it was like 17-5 to at one point. Their first basket came off a tip-in off Giannis, tipping it in his own basket. And, I mean, they kind of clawed themselves – Back into it to the point where it was a really good game uh, in the fourth quarter. And um, I didn't see this game. I didn't actually see this game. I watched highlights on it. So hopefully you have better knowledge than I do. Um, but Yeah, no, unfortunately, I was uh, I've been away with the, the girlfriend this weekend, went up to New Hampshire and spent time with her family. So um, I was unable to watch the game. I uh, watched highlights. I bet on the game. Um, <laughs> live bet Celtics plus seven and a half came in pretty clutch considering we lost by seven. So yeah. that was a big win right there. Um, um, I'm more fine with the Celtics right now. Knowing, I mean, this when you looked at the restart, the first eight games we're going to play, I think we all were chalking up this one as a loss. Um, we did. It was a back-and-forth game. We started off slow. We came back, and then Milwaukee just kind of slowly pulled away there at the end. I think if we all were looking at the restart schedule, we're like, okay, yeah, this is probably our hardest game. Um, considering we have to face Giannis and arguably, not arguably, be favorite to win the Eastern Conference this year. Um, but I thought we played well for the most part. Tatum kind of didn't look himself. Tatum but, sucked. Yeah. But Tatum sucked. But that that'll come. Um Marcus Smart looked phenomenal. Uh from the highlights I watched, Kemba looked good. Um, Brown looked good. So it's really just basically the thing that cost us the game was the play of Jason Tatum, which I, I I'm I'm gonna really chalk up that he's gonna figure it out. Oh uh, yeah. He was he was red hot before the league paused, and now it's a very long break. In his first game back, he's being guarded guarded by Giannis. So, I I really think Tatum's gonna figure it out. These next seven games before the playoffs kick off are a little easier than what we were just out of the bat matched up with, considering we just had to play Milwaukee. So. I really think the Celtics over these next seven are going to start to get back into form. 
you know, the restart games were kind of just are the technical preseason games for the bubble. They were kind of just a feeler, get everyone back in shape. Uh, Taco played a lot. All our young guys played a lot. And so now that we're going, I think I think the Celtics are going to start to figure it out. And I think come playoff time, we're going to be fully buzzing. And hopefully it results in us, you know, bumping up to that two-seed uh, leapfrog in Toronto. But if not, I'm fine at three. Um, we play Philly, who, you know, sucks away from home. And every game in the bubble is away from home. So um, I'm really excited for the Celtics. And I think... I think they got they they can make some noise, and I think most reporters, when asked who who do you think is the only team that can come out of the East besides Milwaukee, I think everyone really says it's either Boston or I've heard a lot of Miami, but for the most part, it's been a lot of the Celtics. If they get clicking, can actually be the team to yeah. beat Milwaukee, and I'm I'm really excited. I think the Celtics can get it done. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna sound off a little bit here on on the NBA for a quick second because you and you know obviously I think you're the same way. The NBA isn't really our like preferred sport. I mean it's it's really popular, so I kind of like almost feel like a a force to like follow it because it like just how how so many people like it and stuff like that. But I was so so surely reminded by it opening night of the Celtics. I was reminded of what this sport really is. I mean, if you watch, if you watch the clip of Giannis driving in and taking the block from Marcus smart, that was a charge. It was a charge. If you looked at, if you looked at it, smarts foot was in the circle, but just as Giannis went up smart, like adjusted his foot and put it outside of it to make himself eligible to take the charge. And, of course, they call the block on Smart. If they called the charge, it would have forced Giannis out of the game. He would have fouled out. And I'm not sure how much time's on the clock, but I'm pretty sure there was still, like, a decent chunk of game left in the fourth quarter. This is why I hate the NBA, because you and I and everyone knows that the league went into this restart telling the refs, listen, do not like if there's a close call on a star like LeBron, Giannis, uh, Anthony Davis, Kawhi, any of those guys, just let it go because we don't want them following out. We want viewers. We want these guys playing start to finish. We want these guys in overtime. We want excitement. We want to start off with a bang. And how boring is it when the superstar MVP of the league fouls out and the Celtics and Bucks are battling in a close game for five minutes without the best player on the court. I mean, it's so blatantly obvious, and I'm sorry. Like, you can go to the review and see clearly that Smart's foot was outside of the circle. And then you can correctly make the call to a charge. And then Giannis is out of the game. It doesn't happen. The call stands on the court. And then it happens again. I'm not sure what the second instant was, but I saw it on Twitter. Many, many people were fired up about it, about how Giannis got away with two or three close calls that would have forced him out of the game. Given the score at that point on that first charge to Smart, I'm pretty sure it was like a five or six point game. I'm kind of speaking off the top of my head here. I'm not sure if I'm too accurate, but it was a close game. Giving him the block 
gives him the two points that he made, and he gets the foul. If he doesn't make that basket, the the score stays the same, and Giannis is out. That totally, totally changes the way the rest of this game is played. The Celtics would have probably came back and won that game if the call was made correctly, if the charge is called. But of course, the superstar gets the gets his way. And that's what I think the NBA is. I'm sorry. Like, I know many of our viewers worship the NBA. I'm sorry that I have to say this, but like, it's a popularity contest. It's how they make their money. It's the stat lines. You need to see those guys dropping 30, 40 points every night in order to maintain your business. I just think that's how the NBA is played. That's why I'm more of an NHL guy where it's like more of a team team game. Stars are not nearly, nearly as beloved and cherished by the refs or the officials. And I don't know. I just hate it. I hate it. I was so quickly reminded of what this sport really is at the end of the day, at the end of games. First night, first night, Giannis steals the show because the refs would not, would not let him fall out of the game. So I'm a little fired up by it. Definitely a little fired up just kind of seeing that. But it is what it is. I do think the Celtics have a chance here. They do not have as much as I would love to call Tatum a superstar. Tatum is just not on the level of uh, Kawhi, LeBron, Giannis. He's just not there yet. You can say however much you want about him. He is just not that guy. He's still so young. He's still so much more to grow, but he's not there. I do think they have a chance, though. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of things would have to go their way. But I don't know, man. I think that these top dogs are just too, too, too top heavy with their superstars like the Lakers, Clippers, Bucks. Given what I just said about the refs, I think the refs are always going to point towards those kind of players. So I don't know. Sorry. No, no, you're you're absolutely right. And it's not just a bubble thing. Like this happens every year during like regular season games, playoff games. They don't want guys. They don't want the superstars fouling out. That just changes the viewership of everything. And really, really, at the end of the day, they they get paid. They make the big bucks when Giannis is on the court. If it was it, – it's not like the NCAA where we see in the NCAA college basketball, March Madness. We see these big do- big dogs foul out of games. Like, we yeah. see – like we've seen close games where it's like two years ago where it's like, okay, yeah, Duke, like Zion fouled out. Like, what are they going to do? Like you don't see that as much in the NBA and it's clear because they want to make more money. They make more money when it's everyone gets that notification saying Celtics bucks late in the game. And it's people are tuning in because they're like, okay, hey, close game. How, what's Giannis going to do? What is, is Giannis going to be able to pull it off? Like, can he, exactly. can he beat this Celtics team that's more of a well-rounded team? Or will – and that's really what people tune in for. Sorry, I'm trying to process my thoughts. Hannah just got me a beer. Thank you, Hannah. Um, <laughs> so, best girlfriend in the world right there. But um, the uh, at the end of the day, they make way more money when it's close game, ESPN. There it is. Good old crack. Yeah, good old crack of the Bud Light, you know. It really, really keeps the soul. But um, mid episode Bud Light, nothing, nothing better. Yeah, well, you know, I already drank the first one I had when I started the episode. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get the second one in. Um, 
No, but really, they make their money off of this stuff, and that's what they get paid for. And that's why you saw at the end of this, when the before the restart happened, or before the season paused, my apologies, there was this push to make Jason Tatum a superstar. Mm-hmm. There was this push to be like, oh, like Tatum is much wa- much much watch TV. He is the man. Like he is the guy on the Celtics. Which, listen, I'm not arguing with that. There, like Jason Tatum is a go. If he's not a superstar, he's gonna be a superstar. Yep. But this Celtics team isn't a one player team. We saw what happened when we had a superstar. The team fell apart. Mm-hmm. The the whole Kyrie Irving experiment sucked. Kyrie Irving was listen. Kyrie Irving. Great basketball player. He's only made two All NBA teams. That's it's a different story. I think he's wildly overrated, considering just how well he is at dribbling and doing the his patented crossover moves. I think Kyrie Irving's wildly overrated. We saw what happened when we had a superstar, and they were plugging it that way on TV. It was Kyrie Irving's Celtics take on Giannis's Bucks. We saw what happened with that. Mm-hmm. Did not work. When we had Kyrie Irving for two years, we were one game away from going to the NBA Finals with Terry Rozier as our best player. Yep. Like, technically, because Terry Rozier and led us to the Eastern Conference Final. He sucked in Game 7. We lost. It happens. Kyrie, fully healthy. We get bopped by the uh, Raptors, who ended up winning it all. It's We're not a team built for superstars, but that's what the league is trying to starting to push because Listen, like, what's the sell of the Celtics if we're not a team with a superstar on it? Kemba, phenomenal basketball player. He clearly doesn't bring in the ratings for the Celtics if he can barely do it in Charlotte. So they want the Celtics, who is arguably the fourth best team in the NBA, to have a guy on their team that can sell like Giannis does. And they were pushing that for Tatum. Listen, Tatum's a great player, but our team isn't a superstar team. We're a team. Yeah. Like, and I think I think just that clearly shows the NBA wants the Celtics to have a superstar, and they want teams to have these guys that are much much wa- must watch guys. And that's exactly what it showed that they're not going to call fouls on Giannis. They're not going to call fouls on James Harden. They're not going to call fouls on LeBron. Yeah, they make it so that these guys, if it's a close game, they can send out that notification to everyone that has the ESPN app. Close game alert, Celtics Bucks tied with five minutes left. Giannis is still in the game. That's what they that's what they want. And they push for every team to have a superstar when really the Celtics are a team built for just an all-around team. Yeah. Which is what gave us success this year. It's what given us success for the entire Brad Stevens era. And when we have a superstar, it clearly doesn't work. And I think that's why the Celtics are gonna go far. Sorry, I rambled there for no. A very long time, but no. it's, I mean, I just think it's true. The NBA is pushing for Jason Tatum to be this superstar on the Celtics when really, I think even he knows it. I think he, I think we all know he is the guy on the Celtics. I just don't think he wants to be at that level of like where he is the face of the team. And I think this is more of a team driven team rather than having superstars. And that's how Brad Stevens runs his teams where there is no one guy. It's the team. And that's exactly what the Celtics have right now. And I think that kind of makes us, you know, not as much watch as the Bucks, considering they have arguably the best player in the league on their team. But I still like the Celtics. 
sorry, wrong, long spiel there, but the Celtics, I think, are. I'm still picking them to win the Eastern Conference Final over the Bucks. Yeah, uh, I definitely am going to disagree. Hate to sound Felgren Maz esque right now, but uh, like I said before, I just don't think this kind of this kind of roster is built for what this NBA is shaped out right now. Um, this is what I think you disagree totally with me where you think a team can't like a, you just said how the Celtics are built more of a team. I don't think that cuts it, especially given uh, their core, like the two big pieces are so young. Uh, I definitely think that in a couple of years, we'll be having a different conversation on it when, Tatum is 27, Brown's 28, and then so on when they're both in their primes. <coughs> but give, like I said, given the roster aspect and then the refs aspect, I just the odds do not stack up for the Celtics. I think they're an Eastern Conference team. Whether they play the Heat, the Bucks, the Raptors, I don't, I don't know. Maybe they'll get lucky and not have to face the Bucks and somehow squeak through, but. I'm pushing for him. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Celtics fan, just like I am with every other Boston sports. I'll always follow them. I'll watch them when they're on. But I don't know, man. I just don't think the odds are in their favor at all. But enough Celtics talk. Wait, one sec. Really, let's just – One more? All right, keep going. I I just got to say, call me a homer if you will. But Keep going. This this Celtics team is – this is the best Celtics team we've seen in a couple years. Right You think so? This team, yes. I honestly think so. I think top to bottom, our record might not show it that like this is the best we've had in a couple of years, but this is what the Danny Ainge trade was building towards. The Pierce Garnett, Jason Terry for a ton of Nets picks, which a lot of people <laughs> didn't agree with the trade when it happened. But this is what we've been building towards since the re- our in quotations rebuild. We only missed the playoffs once in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So. Yeah. 12 years since we got the big the original big three with Pierce Garnett Allen this is what we're building towards this is what we wanted Danny Ainge was a genius in the draft drafted all the right guys we stumbled upon Marcus Smart who is probably the unsung hero of the Celtics team he does not get enough praise as he should he's an all-NBA all-NBA defensive team caliber guy he Drafts smart. He trades down to draft Tatum. We had the number one, and everyone was like, oh, Markel, Markel, Markel. No, he, he trades down because he, I don't know if it's intuition, he knew Markel Fultz wasn't going to fit with the Celtics. Trades down, drafts Jason Tatum, and then in the Ben Simmons year, drafts uh, Jalen Brown, who – if you go back and read what people were saying about that pick, they were like, oh, the Celtics reach for Jalen Brown, this guy that not everyone, not a lot of people knew a lot about from Cal Berkeley. So I just think this is what we've been building towards. The whole Kyrie Irving experiment clearly didn't work. We have a point guard now who is the ideal point guard for a Brad Stevens run offense. This team is built perfectly for Brad Stevens, who's a genius. Listen, our I think our only competition in the East is the Bucks. I don't think... I think we could beat the Raptors. I think we can beat the Sixers. I think we can beat the Heat. I think we can beat anyone in the East. The Bucks is the tough call. And I think just at the end of the day, we just got to cancel out Giannis, which hard enough alone. But 
one guy can't win an entire NBA game or an entire playoff series, cancel out Giannis and then just hope Chris Middleton doesn't go off like he always does against us. And yeah. then, you know, I think that it would give a good shot for the Celtics. I think right now, if I looked at the odds, I think right now we have the fourth best odds to win the NBA title. I think that's right where we're at considering the two LA teams are nasty and the Bucks are nasty. I think out of the East, we have the best shot to beat the Bucks, And I think it's only us and the Bucks are the only two competitors for the Eastern Conference title. NBA final time, it's whatever. All we need to do is just this team needs to make a finals and then we'll build from there. Because again, we have a young core led by a point guard who is the perfect point guard for a Boston Celtics run team. I We're building towards another championship and championships as this as the our main two young prospects and Brown and Tatum keep developing. I mean Tatum's already an all-star. Brown's going to be an all-star. We have Kemba Walker who is an all-star and an all-NBA player. I think as as we get more developed and developed, this Celtics team is gonna I think shock some people this year and we might, you know, push the Bucks farther than people would expect us in a series. I think we can even upset them. And that's coming unbiased too. Like I genuinely think the Celtics, this isn't even a hot take, have the second best odds to win the East. And I honestly think the Celtics can beat the Bucks. Yeah. I agree with you with the we could definitely handle the any of those other teams like the Sixers, the Raptors, all those guys. I for sure think Especially with the Sixers, I mean, those 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 guys are already like fighting. I don't know if you saw the video, but Embiid's already barking at dudes on the bench. Like one game in, and this team's already imploding. Like Al Horford is now a bench player for that team after they gave him a max contract, the highest like, paid bench player in the league. Yeah, like, I mean, they're they're idiots. I mean, they built all that up. They they drafted Simmons. They drafted Embiid. Um, the ceiling was so high for them, and I just think they're imploding now, so I don't consider them a, do- a top dog. The Raptors, yeah, they have a pretty solidified roster, pretty deep bench. Van Fleet, Siakam, really good, but, I mean, just the Celtics got them I, I, I pretty handily. And um, who's the third team that I'm forgetting? The Heat. The Heat. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler, same thing with them. I mean, they're kind of like a, a Raptors. Same, You could kind of say the same with the Pacers right now. All those teams just are right there. They have a pretty decent roster, pretty decent bench, have that one star, but, like, maybe not the right coaching. I don't really know what's going on, but I just definitely think the Celtics have a step ahead of those teams. But that's what we'll disagree, I guess. You think they have a chance? I don't. We'll see. I ho- Hopefully you're right. I really hope you're right. Um so I can eat my words, but we'll have to disagree with the Bucks versus Celtics. That'll wrap it up for the Celtics. Um, now we'll talk some hockey. I am so freaking excited. I mean, one hour away. We'll just get the episode off in time before the start of the game. So you guys will probably be listening to to this afterwards, but the Bruins kick off their season in the round-robin tournament in the NHL bubble against the Philadelphia Flyers today. No Tuka Rask. He's quote-unquote unfit to play. I'm not really too, not too sure what's going on with him, but have some faith in Halak. Definitely one of the better, if not the best, backup goalie in the league. The Bruins are by far and above 
my most anticipated team to return to play. I'm sure you're going to say the same thing, even with the Sox. I'm so excited for this. Um, the Bruins were going on a massive, massive tear during the regular season, just ripping apart opponents. They were on their way to win the President's Trophy. Or, I mean, they still technically won it, but, I mean, the season obviously cut short for a few months. Um, but, yeah, they're back, finally. And um, I'm ready to hit on – I'm very, very, very excited to hit on some uh, roster spots couple players that I think are going to have big, big, big playoffs series for us. And we'll break it down. We'll break down the game today. We'll break down the next few games and obviously towards the Stanley Cup. But I'll let you go off. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm extremely excited for the Bruins to get back. Uh, This tournament is a little weirder than the other ones. Um, I got to say, hat off to the NBA and NHL. They have been killing their bubbles, unlike the MLB and what looks like the NFL is going to do. It's clear that a bubble format's the only way you can properly do this. So to hat off to them, no positive tests for either league right as they are kicking off right now. So that's good. Um, I'm very excited for this Bruins team to come back to play. Uh, we, I think we said, I don't know if we said on a pod or just while we were working. Um, out of all the teams to get screwed by this reset format, it is the Boston Bruins. Um, like you're saying, before the season got suspended, the Bruins were buzzing on their way to another President's Trophy. Or not, well, we won one in 2013, but on our way to a President's Trophy. Uh, we were really looking like the best team in the league. Our big three were just killing it uh the top line on the Bruins scored more goals than the entire Red Wings team combined so (laughs) that's a genuine stat so the Bruins were buzzing on all accounts um the restart game the little uh preseason if you would game uh against Columbus did not really go so well we didn't look uh all too too sharp but you know I'm excited for us to be back um we get an automatic buy, but our seating's gonna be weird. We don't we won't really know who we play uh, until. But I mean, I'm really excited for the Bruins to be back. No Rast tonight is a bit of a bummer, but you know the Bruins. We have two goalies that can really get it done. So that's why we carry two goalies. It's not like the world's over that we're without Tuka Rast for one game, especially. I have so much faith in Halak. Yeah, no, Halak's gonna get it done. Um, I got a ton of faith in Halak. Um. There's a reason why we have two goalies. These games matter, but they also don't matter. Um, where if we we could go 0-4 in the entire round robin for the seeding tournament, I think that's what they're calling it. Yep. We, yeah, we could go over and then still like we're not going to be eliminated from the playoffs. That's the whole yeah. thing. So I think this this whole time, I think if we're smart, we'll just use as basically just a build-up like these aren't must-win games yeah it'd be great to win them but these are not must-win games like we can't afford to lose we can afford to lose games to uh who are we we were up against philly tampa bay and who's the other metropolitan team we're in the play in the play um it's not long not the islanders drawing a blank right now oh it's the caps the capitals yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the capitals so, sorry, I have no laptop in front of me. Um, but, yeah, no, so it's 
these games we can afford to lose. Obviously, it'd be great to just win them all and just get our what we should have as a one seed. I mean, we well deserve it. We are, won the President's Trophy. so. But I would use these more as a building thing to try to get the team fully buzzing before we go into a seven-game series against one of these teams that's going to have five games maximum, probably five to three games of build-up for these other teams where we're going to have only, I think, three. So I use these to build, and then it's the NHL playoffs. Like, seeding doesn't really matter. Like, any team can beat any team. We just saw Pittsburgh lose to Montreal last night, and Montreal's the worst team in the tournament. So, and Pittsburgh, by all accounts, is the best team that didn't make the uh, the round-robin spots. So, yeah. Anything can happen in the NHL playoffs. I think the Bruins should use these as more building games to try to get back into full speed. And, I mean, we'll see. We Again, we can't afford to lose games. Like, these are okay to lose games. And then just once our seating gets decided, go from there. But if we can just build up to where we're buzzing right when we start playing actual series, I think that's exactly what we're going to do. And I think – Again, I'm a homer, but the Bruins are the best team in the NHL. Yeah, no. Um, you said it. These are build-up games. I think you kind of get a, a taste of what um, these other three top top seeding teams are made of, Whether how much they're into this. I mean, my thing is, I don't know. Like, are team, teams like the Lightning even, like, wanting to play? Because the Lightning were one of the teams to say no to this whole uh, restart. They were like one of two or three teams in the league that declined, that voted no to having a restart. So we'll see. I mean, some of these teams might not even want to be here. It's it's a whole new game here. So it's it'll be interesting. You get a taste. You get a test versus these three. And then after that, it's go time. It's kind of what the playoffs would normally be, best of sevens. And then you potentially – then you'll have a – already have a game under your belt versus these teams for later on the playoffs if you even get there but my thing the thing I want to talk about now um, my question to you is how much of this obviously no fans will take into account I mean like it's for me I think home ice advantage and just crowd noise and stuff like that it's that's one of the biggest things, especially in the NHL. I mean, teams feed off crowd energy, especially at home. Like, Bruins are down a goal or two in the playoffs in the Garden, and the crowd is obviously letting them know. Boston sports fans, obviously pretty tough on their teams. And I think even when they're up, I mean, like, they score a big goal and the crowd is just so bugged, so juiced up. So that's my question. How much will this matter? No crowd noise, or no like real crowd noise, I should say. Oh, it's gonna be unbelievable! Like the this basically is just gonna be like essentially just practices for these guys. Like there's no fans; there's gonna be no noise. Yeah, I think obviously on TV they're probably gonna flood in some sort of crowd noise for the teams that would be home. I don't, didn't really look into that, but no, it's gonna be a huge factor. These. Like, these playoff games aren't going to have the environment of a normal playoff series. It's not going to have the environment of, okay, like, hey, close game. Like, 
the garden closet in the Coliseum on Long Island, like literally shaking at the foundation. No, it's going to be like just quiet, really. Like we saw yeah. it, we saw it last night. I didn't watch the game, but I watched the highlights of the uh, Montreal Pittsburgh game. It was if in ordinary circumstances, Pittsburgh's playing technically a home game in their home barn. Game goes to overtime. Like, that's an unbelievable, huge advantage for them. And instead, it's just, oh, uh, yep. And Montreal wins. No <laughs> no noise. Like, yeah. shot score. Like, it's going to play a huge factor. You need – fans are the whole part that really get the whole playoffs buzzing for the NHL. Home field advantage is a huge thing. So, I think this is where we're going to see better teams really pull it off rather than, like, the Blues last year the in St. Louis, that was an incredibly hard barn to play for all yeah. these teams. Like, the home field advantage for the Blues was out of control. I thought it was – I thought the Bruins – last year I picked us to beat St. Louis, I think, in seven with every team – with each team just winning the home games. Yeah. And St. Louis is a very hard barn to play in. So is the Garden. So is the Coliseum on Long Island. So is the place in Pittsburgh. I don't know their arena name. Edmonton, when they're when it's playoff time in Edmonton, the fans show up. It's it's really just a such a factor. And I think I think really, and I'm gonna be chirping probably the team I hate the most in the NHL right now. But I think it benefits uh, Tampa Bay a lot because Tampa Bay really doesn't have that good of a home field advantage, home ice advantage. Yeah, they're in it's freaking Tampa Bay, Florida. And I don't even know if there's any like public ice rinks where people even can go skate and like yeah. like hockey. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it benefits teams like that where their home field, their home field, their home ice advantage would really not be all that big of a factor. It benefits them tremendously. And teams yeah. like the Bruins, where I mean, we thrive when the Garden's buzzing. Uh, it kind of kind of hurts, but at the end of the day, I think this is just gonna basically benefit for lack of a better term the better teams the more skilled teams more because it's just really just a scrimmage at the end of the day considering it's in a exactly arena with no fans exactly but um i want to hit on a couple players that i'm really 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 excited to watch uh first off i'm really excited to see jack studnika um been following on Twitter through Bruins practices and stuff like that, scrimmages. He has been one of the better players on the ice. And, I mean, this has been, like, a long time coming. I thought – I've always thought this kid is, was going to be legit watching his tapes in Providence and in the junior leagues. This kid has some skill, man. He And he flies around too, which makes it all the better. Um, it's one thing to have skill and kind of be like – don't want to call any names out here, but a little bit of Tyler Sagan, where no really lack or uh, knack for to play like the real game, real Bruins hockey, just kind of had skill. That's kind of why there wasn't a fit with him. But this kid, I think he is a perfect, perfect example of what a uh, Boston Bruins player should uh, example. But sorry, I'm just looking up. The, the roster, but um, yes, Jack Sednika is moving up to the second line with uh, Krejci and DeBrusque. Ooh, I actually kind of like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, he had been he had been practicing with them 
throughout the the training camp, quote unquote, whatever. And then he played with them the other night versus Columbus, and he was one of the best players on the ice the whole game. He fit right in with them, kept up, and I think he is perfect, 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 perfect for what David Krejci needs. Uh, Jake DeBrusque, as much as I love him, he does go on bits of cold stretches, times where like he's kind of just like a ghost on the ice. He does fly around, don't get me wrong. He plays with a lot of intensity and energy, but I mean, this kid is definitely a goal scorer first, and sometimes he just hits those cold stretches. And I mean, I'm I can't really like rely, he's not a player you can like rely on, especially in in playoff series. I, I'm pretty pretty sure last year he, he had a pretty tough tough uh, stretch of games in the playoffs. Uh, but I think Sadnika, if he can keep up, keep doing his thing, he will be a a pretty, I don't want to say X-Factor. I don't want to say X-Factor because I know how much firepower we have on that top line. But if he can be any one of a scoring wing for David Krejci, they, that line will complement the first line so well. It will take off so much pressure. I mean, you saw it in last year's playoffs. The Bruins, like, just desperately needed that first line. Like, every time they stepped onto the ice, it was like, okay, like, here we go. Now, like, we can, like, now it's time to score a goal. Like, you can't really say the same with the other three lines, or speaking in the past tense, obviously. But if Sadnika can light the lamp a couple times, score a couple big goals, just complement that first line, it's going to make us so much scarier of a team. So much scarier of a team. I don't know if there's a player you want to hit on, maybe someone you're excited for, or if you just want to hit on Sadnika, like, I, whatever. Oh no, I'm I'm very excited for him. Obviously, I haven't watched uh, as much on him as you have. Um, I'm excited for him. I really like him being paired up with that second line because um, the whole time Krejci's been here, it's always been he needs a top caliber winger with him. And he, as much as I shit on Krejci, and I've been saying he's probably gonna be the next guy to go, just considering of his contract, but. Krejci brings so much to the table for the Bruins, and he improves basically every player he plays with. I yeah. give him a ton of credit for the success of Jake DeBrusque. Um, DeBrusque, obviously, like you said, um, he goes through lulls. So I'm really not going to say players I'm excited for, but I think players I'm putting the pressure on, I think Jake DeBrusque is one of them. Oh, yeah, um, of course. I think that second line, a key for them is going to be his success because we – we know what we're going to get from Krejci, and you can't really bet on a young guy to come through for us. So I'm going to say with Jake DeBrusque, he's going to be a huge factor, and the Bruins are going to need him to step up. And if we want to have success in this playoffs, obviously, like you said, he goes on these historic cold streaks, but he also, when he's, when he's on, he is on. He just has such a nose for the net. Um, like you said, last postseason, he kind of – didn't really do too hot, but I believe it was him after the game seven loss to St. Louis that was like in the locker room crying because yeah. he thought it was the last, he was like, this might be the last go at it for Chara, Bergeron, Krejci, all the core staple guys of the Bruins. So even when he does go cold, he still is just. No, I love Jake DeBrus. Don't get yeah. me wrong. He's Don't still. Get me wrong. He still cares. Like, he is a hockey player through and yeah. through. 
Yep. Which that's why I love him. So I'm going to put the pressure on him. Um, yeah. And then my next two are going to be Rechi and who is it? The two guys Rich we Richie. traded for, Rechi and uh, Casa. Dude, I'm not going to lie to you. I think both don't take my word for this, but I think both of them are healthy scratches today. <laughs> Good fucking Lord. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, I think we, so. I I need we need them to play. I can promise you one of them is going to be a healthy scratch. I don't know though. I I want one of them to play. I want both of them to play. We gave up picks. Obviously the uh Casa trade. Um I think more was a cap dump than the Reggie trade. I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right. Yeah. But um Casa like was more we dumped back his contracts or whatever, but Reggie, we need these guys that essentially were playoff deal uh trade deadline guys to bring in these guys for the playoffs so i'd love for them to play and make a difference but you know if they're healthy scratches nothing they can do about it so yeah but um i definitely say the pressure's on jake debrusque out of the whole team considering if we're gonna win we need more than just our first line uh tampa bay clearly shows that you need more than just the first line to win hockey games in the playoffs uh, with their first line. That's just phenomenal. And our first line always is clicking, always is buzzing. We need more than just the top three to come through. And I think that really stems from Jake DeBrusque getting that second line going because the end of the day, Krejci compliments the players he plays with. So that's where I think he needs to step up. Yeah. Very quickly. I'm going to give a few couple players that, I'm going to put some pressure on given uh, going into this tournament. First, uh, Charlie McAvoy. I think uh, obviously in a way, you know what you're going to get from him, but I really need him to be that top defenseman. I mean, yes, we have Chara. Yes, we have Carlo, but McAvoy is the guy here. Like where you look at him, it's like, okay, like this is our top dog. Like when, when NBC is showing like, our defensemen, they're going towards him. He is the guy. This is the leader of the bunch now. Like, I know Char is our captain, and I know how strong uh, Carlo is defensively, but McAvoy just gives you so much on both ends. He is so young still, obviously, but mature, plays the game, looks so smart, uh, does make some errors here and there, and I really, really need him to take that next step especially in this playoffs. I mean, if he can take that next step, you're looking at a defensive juggernaut with Krug, McAvoy, Chara, Carlo, um, Grizzlick. But I definitely need to see a lot. I, you can't have McAvoy in a funk here if you want any chance of winning. You need McAvoy. And the second, the second obviously, is Tuka Rask. Uh, it's time, Tuka. If you're listening... It's time, man. You gotta get you gotta get me over the hump. I, I do love I do love Tuca. I do realize how good he is. Um I will never take him for granted ever. But the people who do definitely have a fair argument because every time it's come down to it, he has not come up on top. So I mean, it's just time. Given like you said with Debrus, the last couple rides with Chara and Bergeron. You got to win with this core. You, you have to. You got to win one more cup with Chara and Bergeron and Krejci here. 
And Rask is, I mean, at the end of the day, you're only as good as your goaltender. So, I mean, two goals in the first period of a game seven, two quickies. I mean, that's just not cutting it. I'm sorry. I don't care whose fault it was. Marshawn line changes. There's got to be a better formula there. Tuka Rask has to be on his game. No more excuses. No more Marshawn shouldn't have line changed. No more the Blackhawks, all this. It's time, Tuka Rask. It's time to win us a Stanley Cup. It's time to be the Vezina Trophy. It's time to be the All-Star winning, whatever, all that. It's time. You got to get a Stanley Cup under your belt. After all these All-Star appearances, all these Vezina Trophies, the pressure is on Tuka Rask the most out of anyone on this roster. Well, just like I was the forefront of the David Price is good fan club. I am also at the forefront of the Tuka Rask is good uh, fan club. Tuka Rask, I cannot tell you how many times most couples in their relationship, their main argument is like actual like real life stuff. Uh, me and Hannah's main argument is if Tuka Rask is good or not, or if Rob Gronkowski is good or not. Um. I win both arguments. Tukarask is the best goalie in Bruins history. Plain and simple. He is the best goalie that the Bruins have ever had. Uh, a lot of people point to his inconsistencies in the playoffs. I would say he, I would say his inconsistencies are that he goes from great to good. Like I, I think Tukarask is a phenomenal goalie. I want him I want him more than anyone else in between the pipes for the Bruins right now. I know the pressure's on him that like oh he's got to get it done. The game seven loss to St. Louis, the game six loss to the Blackhawks, like all this and all that. Listen, a lot of goalies don't even make it that far in their careers to go. He already has a Stanley Cup, which say we will, Tim Thomas probably had the best season out of any Bruin ever that year for goalies. I still would take, still think Tuka Rask was a huge factor in why Thomas was so good, considering we had two goalies that were all star caliber goalies. That we could yeah. throw into the net any night. So, got Thomas some rest. Tukarask is phenomenal. He is going to show up again. I guarantee it. He's going to show up again. He's going to show up this postseason and he's going to help the Bruins win. Obviously, you just said you can't blame the Marshawn line change. I'm 100% blaming the Marshawn line change. That was a huge factor why we lost the game. It changed the momentum of the game. It was a one goal game going into the first intermission. Still anyone's game. Marshawn decides to take a change when he's the lone defenseman back with five seconds to go in the first period. And it's just an easy goal. Nothing he can do about it. There was very little goals in last postseason where I was like, oh, Rask, what are you doing, buddy? Like, how do you not save that? He comes up big when we need him to come up big. He makes the saves he should be making. And he makes saves that he probably has no chance at, too. Yeah, he makes mistakes sometimes. He always doesn't come through. I am crediting last year's loss to there being a better goalie on the other team, more than us having a bad goalie. Gordon Bennington just showed up the entire postseason, and he outplayed Tukarask, and he won won the Conn Smythe Award for it. So I'm giving 100% pass on Tukarask. He is the best goalie in Bruins history. I think he will show up again for what I would consider show up. Obviously, people's expectations are, oh, he's got to win a Stanley Cup. But at the end of the day, he can only do so much as the goal. 
I think yeah. Tukarask, I think he's probably going to keep it right around right around two to three goals against a game this postseason, which should be enough to win you games. Yeah. No I, love, I love Tukarask so much. It fires me up that people think he's bad. I'm, I would like to think I'm in the middle. Uh, kind of like a little backstory here. So I'm in a, I'm in a Bruins group chat with uh, my cousin and my dad, who are both diehard, diehard fans. I would like to say they're probably like bigger fans than I am. And like, I'm a huge fan. And my cousin is like you, Liam, just where you are. And my dad is just the polar opposite. Like he will blame shit on Tuka Rask where it's like, okay, dude, like, you, you got to just, you got to just stop. Like you're just talking nonsense. So, I mean, I kind of have been in this like median point for the past few seasons. So I'd like, it's kind of nice sitting there. I love Tuca. I love him. Don't get me wrong. I probably wouldn't. I, there probably isn't any goalie in the league that I'd rather, but I mean, just when, when it really is counted, he just hasn't been where I wanted him to be at. And yeah, it's it's kind of unfair to say. I know I said before the Marshawn change. It's a little unfair. Yeah, it's stupid. It was stupid play, but I mean, breakaway saves are not impossible in the NHL. I'm not saying Tuka needs to make that save because by all means, I'm not like putting fuck ups onto him, like other player fuck ups onto him. But if Tuka Rask makes that save. All like we just feed. We already had the momentum throughout that whole period. Even even if we were down a goal, we were demolishing the Blues. Bennington was just saving everything. Tuka Rask makes that save to end the period. I mean, we just get so the crowd is just so into it throughout that whole intermission into the second period. I don't know, but we're at the sixty-six minute mark. Just real real quick, you're you're saying. Like, think about what you're asking them to do, though. Like, break, no, uh, break, breakaway saves. Breakaway saves are not easy to come by. Like, obviously, yeah, we see them every, like, we probably see them, what, like 50% of the time. Come playoffs, breakaway saves are nothing to be like, oh, I should have had that one. If there's a breakaway, there's a reason why. It's because the team let the goalie down, made a defensive lapse, and now you're leaving your goalie out to dry. As a former goalie, not in hockey, but in soccer. If a team puts if a, you get set up as a goalie in a situation like that, your team let you down, and the save should not be expected for you to make. But what makes Tom Brady so great? I'm not comp- I'm not trying to compare Tuka Rask to Tom Brady right now, but like Tom Brady, I know it's a totally different sport, but Tom Brady, his argument to be the goat is his clutch factor. Tom Brady's clutch factor in near impossible situations, he has been able to come out of it. And that's what makes him great. Tom Brady is not the best in the flashiest quarterback in the league. He's never been able to throw the farthest. He's never been able to run the fastest. But he's just had that clutch factor inside of him that feeds him out of the near impossible situations. You, um, that's why I'm making the case with Rask. Like, if you talk so great about him, if he's so, so electric, if he's the greatest goalie in Bruins history, you've like kind you don't expect him, but like the thought of him making a save like that isn't out of your head because of the way you think about him. That's my argument on it. And I, I think a big problem with Rask and with the fan base of Boston is one, 
our expectations every year is to win the Stanley Cup. And who gets more pressure than anyone come playoff time for hockey? It's the goalie. And I think our main issue is that we keep comparing Tuka Rask to 2011 Tim Thomas, who probably had the best postseason and regular season goalie season. And, like, we've seen the history of the Boston Bruins. So we keep comparing him to, oh, well, Tim Thomas got it done. Tim Thomas made these unbelievable saves. Tim Thomas made stick saves out of nowhere. Bruins are on this unbelievable run. We won the Stanley Cup. It was all thanks to Tim Thomas. Tuka Rask isn't 2011 Tim Thomas. And if we also people, I again, people in Boston get a hard-on for Tim Thomas. We wouldn't, <laughs> have won, we wouldn't have won a Stanley Cup without Tim Thomas. I'm not saying Tuka Rask is like... Because he's living up to something he can't live up to. He can, no goal. It, you know how hard it is for a goalie to match the 2011 Tim Thomas? It's, yes. it's damn near impossible. It was almost a flawless postseason run by him. He outplayed arguably the best goalie in the league at the time, Roberto Luongo, and he just went on a tear throughout the entire postseason. Tuka Rask can't do that. No, most goalies can't do that in a year-in, year-out basis. So we're comparing him to something that he can't reach. We're comparing him to... The stature. It's like comparing. It's like how we're going to probably compare Stidham or Cam Newton to Tom Brady. It's something that we that he cannot physically reach. Yeah. The best season of a Bruins goalie. He cannot get to that point. He can still play phenomenal hockey. He led us to the Stanley Cup last year. He led us to the Stanley Cup in 2013. Obviously, it didn't come. We lost when it came down to it. But I think I credit both years to the play of other goalies. Bennington outplayed Rask. Bington had the best postseason by any goalie. Crawford yeah. outplayed Rask. Crawford had one of the best postseasons that year. It was basically that. That's my whole argument: is he just keeps getting lined up against these goalies that are having better postseasons than him, and it's just that simple. And people get a hard on for Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas quit on the Boston Bruins. People forget that Tukaras has not quit on the Boston Bruins. Last year he took him like two weeks off for a family matter. I think that was the only time he's ever was away from the team. Tim Thomas literally quit on the Bruins to go live in a bomb shelter. Tukaras is the best goal in Bruins history. He obviously has not been able to get it done come Stanley Cup final time, but I don't think that's his fault. I think it's a team issue. We put him in situations where he can make mistakes, put him in situations where really no one should expect him to make these saves that we're asking him to make. And we keep comparing him to Tim Thomas of 2011, which is arguably the best goaltending season ever. <laughs> and yeah. that's so hard to live up to. And I, I think we just put the expectations way too high on Tuka Rask instead of looking at him how he is, which is probably the most consistent good goalie the Bruins have ever had. He's the all-time wins leader for Bruins history. He has, is year in and year out up there in save percentage, up there in saves, and up there in goals against for the league leaders. And I think the Bruins fans, we love to pick on him because it's easy to pick on goalies. But at the end of the day, we don't know what it's like to have a bad goalie. Yeah. Like, can you remember the last time where we had a god-awful god, god goalie in net? Because I, no, I, can't. I can't. I cannot. I can't. We've always had a good goalie. Yeah. And... I think we take I think we take for granted we point blame at Tuka Rask very wrongly. I mean until until he wins the cup. 
I mean, I'm going to stand my ground here. I'm Like I said, I'm not totally disagreeing with you. I, I do think he's a very good goalie. I do think he can win a cup. But until then, I'm going to have my doubts, given track records. But getting pretty close to puck drop, 20 minutes. So yeah. I'll probably have just enough time to edit this up, post it. Uh, we were going to talk some Pats. We'll save that for next episode. A few couple days we'll be hitting Pats. We'll be talking more um, follow-ups on Bruins, Celtics, Red Sox, with all that going on. Uh, yeah. Take take Bruins puck line if he drops this before. Uh, yeah, I got Bruins puck line right now. Bruins are going to come through tonight. All right. Um, anything else? No, that's it. Um, everyone stay safe. Um, I just real quick, uh, shout out to my friend, Austin, uh, Austin Anderson currently, uh, just this week got diagnosed, uh, he has cancer. Um, great kid. He listens to the pod, Austin praying for you, man. Um, really just one of the nicest selfless kids you'll ever meet. Uh, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink, doesn't do anything. And really just one of the nicest guys and a really, really good friend. And it's just, painful news to hear that he got diagnosed with cancer and you know hey you're gonna beat it buddy um love you and uh we'll be hitting the links pretty soon i promise that a boy liam all right uh that'll leave us go go bruins uh go socks go celtics we'll see you in a couple days yeah peace out. peace